the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. I'm Rob Black. Got a pretty good show planned for you today. We got all sorts of financial news that is out there. But then again, if you want to pick up the phone and give the show a call, you can add to the content of the show. Easy, pleasy, no harm done. Pretty darn easy, all things considered. Um, a little bit of weakness out there on the world of economics. Pretty normal, pretty healthy. Weakness isn't bad. Weakness is a good thing. We can't always run a four-minute mile, which is exactly what our market's done since March, April, May, June, July, August, September. And then the last week of October, things started getting a little bit shaky. November were a bad month. I'd take seven up months, one bad month, wouldn't you? So you got to look at it like that. Do you want the market to be at an all-time high? No. The only people who want the market to be at an all-time high should be people who are retired. Because they don't have time to buy low so they can sell high later. Warren Buffett, billionaire investor, smart man. I'd say he's the Michael Jordan of investing. Today he throws down a big bet, huge bet. He says it's an all-in bet as far as a play on the recovery in the United States economy. Warren Buffett going all in. What's he buying? He's buying Burlington Northern. It's his biggest investment to date. It's not bad, huh? It's a pretty big deal. So let's see. What else do we have as far as big stories uh, tied towards this? I like railroads. Why did Warren Buffett buy a railroad? Remember playing Monopoly? The railroads, there was four of them. Basically, they were nice. They were cute. Wasn't quite like Park Place. Wasn't as good as Marvin Gardens, but it's a good utility. It's safety. It's comfort. When Warren's going in, he's taking advantage of a market that's soft at this point in time. He's teaching us exactly what to do, buy low. Now, he's 79 years old. There's other railroads out there. There's Union Pacific. You know, there's other railroads out there. But what do railroads have? They've got track. They've got miles and miles of track. Now, what do the railroads represent in the economy? Why is it a play on the economy recovering? Because we need to push things from the coast to the center of the United States. Because we need to push coal from the mountains to the factories. You get the idea. I like railroads because trucks, you have one trucker in a truck, and he's got this great big convoy trucking down the line. But it's just one guy in a big truck. He can't have 95 trucks behind him. Whereas in a train, you can have the conductor, two, two. With 95, 200, 300 trains that he's pulling behind him. So the, the economy of scale is much larger and much more efficient in trains. Now, the train industry, it was fractured. It was a mess in the 1970s. 
But in the late 70s, they started consolidating. There's not that many players left. So I want you to take a look at trains, and I want you to say, I understand that they don't have a lot of competition. I understand that they are a play on our economy, that no matter what, they are a play on our economy. I would like to see trains continue to you know, uh, do what they do, buy back shares, increase a little bit of efficiency, pay a nice little dividend. Just be trains. Trains aren't going to be train 2.0. There's not going to be Windows train 95. There's not, nothing innovative coming to trains. There's nothing crazy coming to trains. But Burlington Northern Santa Fe, Berkshire Hathaway is acquiring the company. Now, who are some other train companies? If you don't now that you can't own Berlin to Northern anymore, there's Norfolk Southern, there's Union Pacific, there's CSX, and that's about it. That's about it. There's a couple Canadian train companies that I think are worthy of note, but that's it. It's an industry that's very, very tiny. Maybe my kids' kids won't have the ability to buy train companies. Maybe they'll all be bought by, by, by billionaire investors like Warren Buffett. It's a call-in show, 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Who's having a great fall? Who's having a great fall? News Corp is having a great fall. News Corp owns Fox. What happened on Fox on Sunday? Basically, they had us locked in from 12 o'clock noon till midnight. They had the Brett Favre saga with the Minnesota Vikings. That game got an 18 rating. An 18 rating is kind of like, not the Super Bowl, but one step below the Super Bowl. And then what did they have after that? They had the Yankees and the Phillies. And that game went on until almost midnight. So the East Coast really rock and roll and big time party as far as what's happening in the World Series. Now again, the fun thing about the Yankees is they're polarizing. You either love them or you hate them. You either say F the Yankees or woohoo the Yankees. You're on one side of the fence or the other, and that's kind of fun. It's, it's, it makes for good television. Now, what's, what's interesting about this is it's been a bad, bad, bad run for Fox. Ever since they've gotten the, the playoffs in the World Series, games aren't going to seven. For a company like Fox, you've probably heard this before. When they pay for the World Series, you lose money on game one, two, three, and four. You start to break even around five, and you make money hand over fist in game six and seven. So what they really want to see is, is a seven-game series. They want to see the high drama. They want to milk it for all it can be milked. If they could send an assassin into the Yankees' bullpen and, and take out you know, their starting pitcher uh, for tomorrow's game, they would because it's huge business. So Fox doing fantastic. Fox is having a really, really good fall. News Corp. Um, and again, you know, the television industry, surprisingly, is starting to see some people come back to it. So after four or five years of decline, so far the fall numbers are actually pretty good. Let's change gears yet again. So we've talked about trains. We've talked about the Yankees and, and News Corp. You can you can invest in publicly traded companies. You can invest in News Corp. You can invest in Fox. You can invest in Disney. It's interesting if you were to look at the, the strategy between Disney and ABC and CBS. CBS has Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon football. They got the SEC. The SEC is just a lot more marketable than the Pac-10. ABC's got the Pac-10. NBC's got Notre Dame. So these are all product, right? Are you starting to figure that out, that I see the world through investment product? I turn on NBC and I say, ooh, this is NBC investing a lot in Notre Dame. Now, unfortunately, when NBC invested a lot in Notre Dame, they were a pretty good team. And then they kind of went through a, a swan dive. Not so good. Not so good. Not so good. They wish they could renegotiate that deal. When that deal is over, they will renegotiate. Uh, a lot of people see Notre Dame as kind of the Yankees of college football. I don't know. If that's a good analogy. But they're kind of America's team, so to speak. So CBS seems to be dominating the afternoon football. 
ABC seems to be putting their games on later, the Pac-10 games later in the, the slate in the schedule, in large part because they don't feel like they can compete with the SEC. The SEC is the best college football in the nation. If you like college football, you got to get into the SEC, the Southeast Conference. It's the best football there is. And if you've never been to a college football game, go to a college football game. There's nothing like it in the world as far as energy goes. I've always liked college sports because the energy is so much it's so much more powerful than, than professional sports. Professional sports, it's just a lot of testosterone. But college, it's, I think you feel, you feel something for the competitiveness of it. You understand that these kids are sometimes playing their last football game, that they've been playing football games for 10, 15 years since they're a little peewee, you know, just squirts. And then that's it. They're probably not going to go professional. Very, 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 very few college athletes make it to the professional level. So you kind of feel for them, and you kind of get behind that magic that is college football. Anyway, I am digressing. Let's hit another business story of the day, because this one hits you and me in a funny way. Remember how yesterday I said, my baby will use Johnson Johnson No More Tears. I use Johnson Johnson No More Tears. My baby's baby will use Johnson Johnson No More Tears. Well, Johnson & Johnson came out today, and they said, you know, we look at 2010, and we feel good with our earnings guidance. But they also said that they're going to restructure initiatives for sustainable growth. Wall Street likes that sustainable growth word. We, we dig it. We thrive off it. We go, ah, you know, consistency. I would rather have 8% a year till the day I died than up 15, down 5, up 15, down 5, up 15, down 5. I'd rather have the consistency. Consistency wins the battles on Wall Street. So today Johnson & Johnson comes out and says, we want sustainable growth. What are they doing? And again, I think this is a... a a parallel for what's happening in the world economy. I think it's a parallel for what's happening in the U.S. economy. They said, we're going to cut 6 to 7% of our global workforce. That's a lot of people. Now, they're going to have to do some you know, procedural work in different countries that have different laws about firing people. But that's the basic idea. Sustainable growth, and the way they feel that they can get it is by cutting workforce, by being leaner and meaner. Do you see the, the continued message here? Now, I can tell you from television. I've worked in television for eight-plus years now. We're as lean as we can get. The days of fat TV staff's over. The day of fat radio st- uh, staff's pretty much so over. Paul Volcker, he's a ex-head of the Federal Reserve. He's, he, he was Alan Greenspan before Alan Greenspan. He was Ben Bernanke before Ben Bernanke. Paul Volcker went to the White House and he said, he talked with President Barack Obama yesterday, and he said, you know, Obama, the United States has to cut its, its reduce its reliance on consumer spending. He thinks the alternatives to help bolster future economic growth will be, you know, boosting exports, doing innovative technology on green issues, improving the nation's infrastructure. That's something you've heard me pound and hammer and pound and hammer time and time again is improve our infrastructure, improve our roads. I know you're saying, Rob, it's the 21st century. Why are we improving roads? What are they going to do for us? Commerce. Commerce rolls on those roads. Commerce and jobs roll on those roads. If you can improve our infrastructure with roads and you can improve our infrastructure with better colleges or cheaper colleges or better education for, for the money that's being put out there, I feel that our education system is a sham. I felt that college was easy when I was in it. I think now it's too easy. I think it was too difficult 30 years ago, but 20 years ago, it started getting easier. We started becoming too humanized in, in our approach on college classes. I think graduate school is tough. Don't get me wrong. I think there's some degrees that are tough. And I think those degrees that are tough really weed out people and ultimately have higher paying salaries. So anyway, Paul Volcker said, we can't have so much consumption. Consumer spending accounts for 70% of the U.S. economy before last year's economic meltdown. 
He says, we cannot rebuild the economy to the tune of 70% of consumption or housing booms. It's just, it's going to break down again. And I think he's absolutely right. So we got to change the way our, our economy is working in the most simplest manner. We got to boost exports or we got to innovate something wild and something cool. We got to do, we got to get behind green technology. We got to improve our infrastructure. If we make our colleges cheaper or we get a better education for our dollar that we're spending on it, you create higher paying jobs and higher paying jobs create higher taxes. Higher taxes solves a lot of the problems of our government's out of control, drunk like a sailor spending. Anyhow, the White House came out today and even after this Paul Volcker comment that I threw out there, talked about job creation. And job creation is going to continue to lag even as the economy recovers. So says White House Budget Director Paul Orzak. Now, you're not going to hear Barack Obama say that because he ran on a campaign that he was going to create jobs and the world was going to be wonderful and, and kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. I'm President Obama. I'm good for you. He ran for all the glory, glory, hallelujah, good things. Woo! Promise, 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 promise. Now the government, the White House is saying, you know, employment's just not going to look that good. So it's just not going to be that good. Now, Barack Obama says he's you know, committed to cutting the deficit and that health care reform won't add to the deficit. I don't think anyone believes that. Anyhow, long story short, even the White House is out there saying, read between the lines. Our economy ain't going back to the economy that was in the late 1990s. Our economy is not going back to 4% unemployment. It's not. Late 1990s, we had 4% unemployment. We had this crazy, wonderful, almost giddyish time in California. It ain't going back there, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have to change your consumption because that was, we were drunk like sailors in a good way. Now uh, you're drunk like a sailor. You fall over, you hit your head, you can die. So we got some consequences coming out of it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. What an opening monologue, huh? I hit on trains. I hit on drunk sailors. I hit on our economy. I tie it all together with Johnson & Johnson. I hit the New York Yankees. Is there any other show quite as rambling as this? Probably not. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. Two trailer park girls go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Next hour, I'm going to be speaking with Kit Yarrow, author of Gen Buy. How tweens, teens, and 20-somethings are revolutionizing retail. I told you last week I did a story or a piece on retail and how people who are 20 years, you know, that 15 to 25-year-old, they're looking for a different experience. They're not looking for JCPenney's. They're not looking for Macy's. They're looking for culture. They're looking to be related to. They're looking for music to be played while they're shopping. They're looking for something very specific to them. They want a lounge-type feeling. You design the right type of environment, the kids will come. Why do I call them kids? I call them kids because I'm entitled to it at this point in time. But the point being is they've got discretionary income. If you can figure out that market, that audience, they're not as powerful as soccer moms, but they're pretty damn powerful. You know, moms control the finances in a lot of families. But kids have discretionary, like, they're going to spend they're going to spend in a good economy. They're going to spend in a bad economy. 800-345-5639. You know that I love technology. 
You know that I do a little bit too much of my fascination with it on air. But I think there's investments in it. I really, really do. One of the stories that's out there today, and let me throw this out there because I think this is interesting for you. I watch a show basically 15 to 30 minutes a day. It's an hour show, but I'll watch 15 to 30 minutes of it. It's on G4. And ultimately what it's all about is technology and how we're using it in our life and how we're integrating it into our life. It's called the tack of the show. And it's got an incredibly good looking guy and incredibly good looking woman as a host. And it's kind of like the Regis Philbin show for 18 to 25 year olds. They kind of do a lot of the homework for me. They tell me about the Android phone and they tell me, you know, how good it is and it isn't. And I know the Android phone, also known as the Droid, is being manufactured by Motorola. It's on Google's operating system. And I, they can give me a good feel. They say it's the best smartphone for Verizon. And Verizon's obviously got better coverage than AT&T. But they basically say if you have an iPhone, stay with AT&T at this point in time because your iPhone's good. You like your iPhone. iPhone's better rated than the Droid. But the Droid's top rated for Verizon at this point in time. That gives me ideas on how Verizon stock's going to do. It gives me a lot of insight. Now, Apple... They did a story yesterday on Apple, and today it's in the New York Post. Get this. Now, who's the largest shareholder of Disney? Do you know? Somebody sold a company to Disney called Pixar, and he founded that company. It's a guy named Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs is the biggest shareholder at Disney. Now, Disney owns ABC. Now, Apple wants TV networks to get on iTunes monthly package. Now, go with me here for just a second. So this time, you know, Apple, Apple fights Microsoft. You know Apple fights HP. You know Apple fights Dell. You know Apple fights Google. You know, you know this, right? You know Apple fights the music industry. They're the tower records of the 21st century. Now, the iPod purveyor, they want TV networks to get on board with all-you-can-eat iTunes service that would let subscribers download unlimited television shows for 30 bucks a month. Now, Apple's been pitching the idea to cable and broadcast networks for months, but sources familiar with talks said that they're still at an early phase, but nothing's imminent. They want to do this hopefully before next February when they start to introduce that tablet. Now, an industry source familiar with Apple's plans, according to the New York Post, said the company's pitching a revenue-sharing structure based on show usage. In other words, Apple would pay networks more for shows that were very popular and less for shows that had fewer viewers. The model might make sense for some, but network sources said it could hurt programming development because big hits would make money, but niche shows with smaller audience would be left to language. Now, again, that, that's obvious. Apple did it with with iTunes. They ruined the album by having us focus on hit songs and downloading hit songs instead of big albums. So, so far, Apple's trying to kill Comcast. Do you get it? 30 bucks a month is like 20 bucks a month for HBO. 30 bucks a month to watch all the TV shows you want. Now, they're going to get Disney's content. Disney's content is going to be the first to sign up for this. Because he's the largest shareholder. He's got some weight, so to speak. I think this is fascinating where we're moving. We're, we're, we're moving away from cable TV. We're moving towards internet TV. On so many levels, whether it be Netflix and how they're streaming movies to us, it, it's, it's damn fascinating. Let's get a bill in Fremont. Bill? How do you feel about debt consolidation companies or companies that take... Um, I think some of them are fine. I think some of them are a ripoff. I'd be very cautious, Bill. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. So, yep, yeah, thanks for the call. Um, 
I would be cautious on companies that overpromise. So there are some good debt consolidation companies. There's no doubt about it, but they're going to cost you money. So um, I'm interviewing one, for instance, today on television, but it's a paid advertiser. It's called Bright Credit One Two Three, and they're going to advertise here on on the radio station. Now they're doing it because they're in a business model to make money. You know that, and I know that. So anyway, Bright Credit One Two Three is going to be on the television show Crown Four today at at four o'clock. Um, I don't know. I've never really met anyone who's had a lot of debt restructured through a credit consolidation company. Have you? I've, you know, I've been looking for them, but they've never come out of the woodwork. None of my friends have ever done it successfully. So you can call the show, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. So I think that Apple story is fascinating. I'm surprised more people don't jump in all over that. Uh, Let me give you a little bit. No, I was going to talk about the free credit score, but I'll talk about free credit scores later in the show. I, I could talk about this for real quick because it kind of ties in with the whole Apple story. Best Buy is launching digital movie source. So Best Buy is getting into the digital movie business. Now, there's a company called Cinema Now, and that they're basically partnering with them to create a new movie downloading service that'll be integrated into one of the most internet-connected electronics that they basically sell at Best Buy. Television, DVD players, computers, and phones. So Best Buy wants to basically tell gadget companies, hey, we want to work with you, but you're going to have to, you know, we'll sell your physical media. We'll sell your physical product, but we want to put in the software. Best Buy has been making an aggressive push into digital. Last year, they acquired online music service Napster for $121 million. Do you remember Best Buy bought Napster? It's kind of weird. Now, the partnership with Cinema Now, it's expected to launch late this year, early 2010, and it's a companion move to online movies. Uh, basically, DVD sales are down. DVD sales are down 13%. Digital is developing as a channel. And that goes back to the iTunes story that I just did where Apple wants to offer free unlimited television service, unlimited television shows for 30 bucks a month. So digital is now a channel. It's a weird concept. And by 2012, it's going to be significant double-digit percentage of the movie business. Now, the two companies, Best Buy and Cinema Now, they're going to collaborate on new online movie service yet to be named. Best Buy is going to preload on electronics from retailers, including Samsung, Sony, Panasonic, Toshiba. Cinema Now is going to handle all the back-end technology as it does for Blockbuster, similar service. We don't know the consumer pricing yet. Best Buy is going to be paying Cinema Now, which is owned by Sonic Solutions, a fee, along with a percentage of the service's revenue for the work behind the scenes. Now, legal movie downloads have become available digitally, and this business has, you know, been doing great. Now, so far, the the limitations on digital downloads movies has been tied towards availability and consumers' ability to play video on different devices. So we don't quite know what Best Buy wants to do, but they want to load into all the gadgets that they're selling. They want to preload the software so that you can get movies on your phones, on your TVs, on your DVD players, and you get the idea. And the movie industry is going to be very, very slow to embrace, but they will. 800-345-5639. Let's go to John and Campbell. John? Hey, Rob. Uh, I have a question about REITs. Uh, it seems to me that commercial real estate, from what I hear, is going to get worse, a lot worse, before it gets better. And residential real estate, uh, you know, might just be stagnant for a while, but isn't really going to do much. I was wondering what your opinion is on when it would be a good time to pick REITs up and uh, when you would expect them to start moving. And uh, that's about it. You know that we're in a, a, a banking crisis, right? Yes. When was the last time we had a banking crisis? Do you remember? 
a banking uh, savings and loan, late 80s? Um, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. And that's when you could get REITs at dirt cheap prices. The next 10 years, REITs went up 600%. Wow. So if you were to say history tells us this, then right now it would be a great time to be buying REITs. Um, the question is, what I would be doing, John, is I'd probably be buying newly formed REITs versus REITs that already have real estate on their balance sheets. So what you're looking for is any sort of real estate investment trust that's coming into money now and starting to buy properties now. Ah, got it. Okay. So, thanks for the call, John. Hey. And a REIT, for those of you who want to play along at home but don't quite understand what the hell I just said, a REIT is a real estate investment trust, and it's a publicly traded company. And they have to share 90% of their profits with you, the shareholder, because you're an owner in the company. They don't pay taxes. Congress set this up as this kind of like sweet deal in the 1960s. Basically, who was investors in the 1960s? It was wealthy white people who got wealthy white people elected into Congress. So Congress sets up, let's scratch your back. It gave you an opportunity if you were a wealthy white person to own real estate all across the United States and not just in your own backyard. And it was publicly traded so you can get good management. You can, and you didn't actually have to go out and own a commercial property. Other people would do it for you. It's the best way for you, the average person, to own real estate is through a real estate investment trust. Buy your house, live in your house, love your house. But don't go out and buy investment properties. It's tough work. I see more people go bankrupt buying investment properties than I see them become millionaires. I see some people who stumbled upon it at the right time in their life where mommy and daddy gave them money or mommy and daddy gave them the house, and that's how, how they started building off their investment property portfolio. But uh, REITs, REITs have a play. I own some REITs. I have no problem. Now, one thing that I don't like is that, that devil, or he's like the devil. I can't actually prove he's the devil. That devil, no, no, that guy who's like the devil, Ray Lucia, he pushes his private REITs because a private REIT is not publicly traded. It's private. Let's say I'm Big Daddy Warbucks. Big Daddy Warbucks. I want to open up a, a REIT, but I don't. I, I want ten million dollars of people's monies, but I'm not public, so I'm not going to sell it to the public. So I get people like Gray Lucia to go out and tell all of his little investors, "Give me ten thousand dollars each, and I'll give you a kickback, Lucia, of six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent." So it may or may not be in the best interest of shareholders in a private REIT. I don't like private REITs. I think there's a conflict of interest there that I just don't like. Eight hundred. Three four five five six three nine to get your calls in there. It's Rob Black Show, nine ten AM. More stimulating talk. Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Let's get to a phone call right here right now. And as I go to phone calls, remember, you can call in. 800-345-5639. Let's get a Mike in Walnut Creek. Mike. Hey, Rob. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for uh, holding during the commercials. Hey, no worries, man. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Always What's, wanted to say that. Yeah, It's kind of overrated. It's yeah. one of those radio cliches that... <laughs> Uh, I'll say booyah right back at you because oh, I've always wanted to say God, that. Don't do that. How about Megadittos? Who's that? Megadittos. Say Megadittos for me. Megadittos. You got it. <laughs> Does anyone even know who says Megadittos? You know what? You lost me on that one. Rush Limbaugh. Everyone oh, says Megadittos to him. Excellent. I know. I know. So there we go. Anyway, what can I do for you? Well, I'm following up. Um, I purchased Shaw way back in May, um, and I'm just seeing how I'm doing because I'm getting crushed on it. And it was a speculative stock. It was something I knew when I bought it. If I lost it all, it wasn't going to hurt my portfolio. Um, sticking to the thumb rule, 
but I'm wondering at this point, do I want to just pull and start investing in some other areas I've been listening to you talk about um, and just uh, take my losses and run with it? Or should I hang on? Because I, I am still interested in their play. I just don't know how much more loss I want to tolerate. Yeah, my personal opinion, my gut says be patient with it because the valuation looks cheap. Right. Um, I don't know why the valuation looks cheap, though. I don't know if they've got these massive charges, if they've got these tax gains. So keep in mind, I can't do all the work for you. Right. It's one of the largest engineering and construction companies, and they're in the power generation market. They're one of the top environmental services. So they seem to be a play on America. They design, they build, they maintain fossil fuel and nuclear plants. They do consulting services to the chemical industry. They perform environmental rehabilitation. They manage government facilities. Clients include multinational oil companies, industrial companies. They're in uh, the Middle East. They're in the Americas. They're in the Pacific Rim. They're in 150-plus offices. Let's take a quick look at – does it have a dividend? Uh, no dividend. That's kind of a surprise for such a big company. You would think that they would have a dividend, but they're really not that big of a company. They're only a $2 billion company. Um, but yet they seem to be everywhere, and that's a little bit odd. Um, let's see. Let's pull in some financials real quick. What am I missing? Well, one of the things I was noticing is they have a ton of cash, but I guess it's being impacted <clears throat> because a lot of it's tied up in uh, yen bonds. Yeah. And I guess that's impacting their value. It just had crappy. They had a crappy 09 so far. Right. Um, their income this year, 15 million. Last year, 140 million. The year before that, they lost 19. So they go, oh, they seem to go through boom and bust cycles. That's one thing that I'm instantly noticing. Let's take a quick look at some of their recent financial filings and news on the company now. Um, it seems to be a late cycle appeal, strong, long-tailed backlog that should shift from being the burden that they believe uh, has depressed the shares. The stock appears inexpensive versus its peers with similar return on investment capital. Um, most of the people that I'm seeing like the company as a play up to about 40 bucks. and thanks for the call. Um, let's see. They used to be, they're part of the old Westinghouse. Uh, which again, most people probably don't even know who that is at this point in time. Looks at an expensive late cycle play. I like that. Um, now they recently got downgraded to neutral from one house. They said $32 target. It's right at around that $32. Some people see it as high as 40 based on valuation time and of nuclear outlook that has become increasingly uncertain following announcement that Western houses thus are failed to demonstrate the AP1000 design meets safety design standards potentially impacting timing of new nuclear builds. So they seem to have some sort of issue where people don't trust their nuclear situation, uh, their, their plans. They've been awarded nuclear power maintenance contracts by Marin U, um, provide nuclear maintenance services, Callaway Nuclear Power Plant. they got a billion-dollar facility. Let's take one last look. It looks cheap. To play on nuclear, I would sell it into strength in the $30, $35 range. I would not wait for it to go to $40. They've lowered some disappointment. They've lowered some outlook for 2010, so it really hasn't done what you wanted it to. As 3% of your portfolio, I don't see a rush to get rid of it. I see it as battling back in slightly better economic times. I see some strong value there. Uh, Nothing great shakes, nothing great worries. I'm not super excited. I'm not super worried about it. That's what I got for you on that one. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Interesting acquisition day. And this one, very, very, very small story. But again, I just, I can't get away from the television. And how many investments are a play on television now? Um, Cisco. They've agreed to acquire a set-top box business. 
Now, it's listed in Hong Kong. It's got major operations in China, marketing technology leader in digital cable solutions in China, and basically Cisco's vision of a high-performance, scalable, service-rich cable interactive platform extending into every home. Again, they, they continue to acquire piece by piece by piece by piece. Anything that's on a network, anything that's tied towards a router or a switch, uh, whether it be video and or, in this case, set-top boxes. I love Cisco's acquisition plan. I love what they're doing. Acquisition expected to close first half 2010. And again, this is a big play on Asia, but it's also a play on set-top boxes, which has been a market dominated a lot in part by uh, Motorola. If you look at your set-top box on your television, uh, Motorola. Now, down the road, there's going to be no set-top box. Down the road, you're just going to plug your TV, your cable into your TV, and your TV will be the set-top box. But we're not quite there yet. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. And uh, it's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. I'm reading an article by Kathleen Howley. It's okay. It's nothing, you know, great shakes. I'm not going to recommend that you go out and get it. But Kajal and Vijal Darod, they paid $559,000 in 2006 for a new four-bedroom house built in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Today, it's worth $360,000. And Kajal, he was a first-time home buyer, he's 29 years old. He says, quote, I don't know how I can come back from a loss like that. Buying the house was a mistake. American home ownership was, was considered a path to wealth. It's now leading to disillusionment. Home prices in the last four years have been the most volatile on record. We're going to lose about 13% of value in homes in the United States this year alone. That's a huge loss. And the average gain that we'll have in the next decade, maybe, maybe 3.5% per year. The quicker we move back to seeing real estate as a place to live, as a place to put down roots, the quicker the housing recovery is going to strengthen. But the investment angle is gone. It's been shot. It's finished. It's over. It's done. Three and a half percent is what you can look. We went on a spending spree and we pushed home ownership up too high. We started giving loans to people who couldn't possibly repay them. We started giving stupid loans. And we as a society, we started signing for stupid loans. We got 66% penetration in the home market at this point in time. Higher foreclosures are going to continue to happen. Recoveries are not going to be what they used to be. Average increase in the U.S. median single-family home, um, typically about 6% in the first year of economic expansion after a recession. We're looking at 3.5%. I don't know one professional who looks for more than that. Ultimately, it's a question about sales. It's a question about inventory, but it's also a question about affordability. And if, if interest rates weren't so artificially low right now, people wouldn't be able to afford what they're buying into. So I think it's problematic. I think it's tied to the Census Bureau. And uh, the average home now has fallen about 40%. 40%. Do you know how long it's going to take to get that back to break even? Long, long time. Let's go to Justin in Pleasanton. Justin? Hey, good morning, Rob. Hey, I got a question about my uh, 401k. Where should I have that, you know, spread out? Um, I'm finally fully funding it, but now I need to make sure I'm you know, funding it in a way that is yeah. going to pay off for me. Let me give you a couple ideas. Um, there's two really good websites. One's called financialengines.com, and another one's called morningstar.com. They, they have portfolio analyzers, and one thing they'll do, Justin, is they'll say, how old are you? 
Um, how much how much money do you make? Uh, what's your goals? Are you is it a goal to retire on one million? Is it a goal to retire on a hundred million dollars? Is it a goal to retire on four hundred thousand? What's your budget? So I can't possibly do all that. But the basic rule of thumb that I have, and this is very very basic, and you'd be a fool for taking it uh, word of mouth, is that you want twenty percent large, twenty percent medium, twenty percent small, twenty percent international, and twenty percent income. Now the younger you are, you can scratch that income. And put that more into international. Um, right now, I'm favoring small cap companies, and I'm favoring international companies. So if I had new money to put in, that's where I'm, I'm focusing it on. Uh, but that's the basic rule of thumb. Now, some people would say 60% equities in the United States seems a little bit much. It is a little bit much. But it's a good starting point for a conversation on how to uh, distribute your money evenly. Um, I've seen some craziness in 401ks on how people are doing 3% in each and every fund, and it's silly. Um, the basic idea is, is you want broad exposure. Sometimes large cap companies outperform small cap companies. Sometimes income stocks outperform uh, mid-sized companies. Sometimes mid-sized companies outperform international. Sometimes international outperforms large cap companies. So you, it's a five-horse race that I think you want to bet on all five of them, if that makes sense. Okay, thank you. So Morningstar.com, sign up for it. It's an online subscription. It's expensive as all hell, but the first two weeks are free. So sign up for that first two weeks and uh, do that portfolio analyzer. It'll, it'll, and it's fantastic, Justin, because let's say you put in your large cap fund from your 401k allocation choice, and you put in your international, and you find out they hold the same exact stocks. And then you're like, well, I'm being redundant here, and I don't really have an international fund. It's really a large cap fund. So it, it's pretty helpful if you give it some time, but it's going to take you a good hour, maybe two hours on a Saturday or Sunday morning to get it done. Let's go to Susan in San Carlos. Susan, how are you? How are you doing? Good. Um, my husband has a bunch of stock options from his company that he works at, and it's over a million dollars in net to us. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with the money once we cash it out. <laughs> Congratulations, first and foremost. Um, Thank you. Where in San Carlos are you? Actually, right now I'm not in San Carlos. So that's where I live. That's where I live, too. What, what road oh, do you live I'm on? I'm on Greenwood. Greenwood, okay. Um, I can't tell people what road I'm on because I'll, I'll get freaky visitors, but it gives me a good perspective of uh, where the wealth is. What company does your husband work for? What company did he work for? He works for Apple. Okay, Apple. Perfect. Um, first and foremost, I don't think you're in any immediate rush, but ultimately you have a million dollars that can pay you $40,000 a year, Susan, until the day you die. I would not be hell-bent on making it $2 million. I would not be hell-bent on making it $4 million. I would start to diversify it as soon as possible. If Steve Jobs comes down with cancer tomorrow, stock can go lower. I don't think it goes lower. I own $400,000 in Apple stock. I like Apple stock. Um, and yet I don't have an iPod and I don't have a Mac, which is kind of interesting to note. Um, Apple, Apple, Apple. Okay, so what you're going to want to do, Susan, is meet with a financial planner at some point in time because that's a good amount of wealth. And you want a CFP. You don't want a stockbroker. You don't want an insurance agent. You want a certified financial planner. If you want to meet someone that I can set you up with, I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, you do not want to sign any insurance paperwork. You do not want any annuities. Um, but you want to create a tax-efficient way to start selling those options so that you're not crushed by alternative minimum taxes. Um, but, yeah, I would start diversifying. And ultimately, I would no longer look at it as – I would look at it as income. And I would start saying – your husband did a good job with Apple, but they paid him stock options, not because they love him, but because they wanted to fairly compensate him. So I look at that compensation as income. I don't look at it as your retirement plan. So I think you need to start 
funding a retirement plan, if that makes sense. Well, we already, I mean, he's already funding his retirement plan. I'm funding my retirement plan. We have no debt except for our house. Don't pay that off. Okay, that's, and then we're trying to fund some money to go to our college, to the kids' college fund also. Okay. Good website for learning a little bit more about kids' funding of college is savingforcollege.com. It's savingforcollege.com. And you're going to want to open a 529 plan. And Susan, you can get off the phone with me right now and call Fidelity. And um, I'm not telling you to get off the phone with me right now. I'm saying when you get off the phone with me, uh, you can call Fidelity and say, um, I want to open a 529 plan. We already have a 529 plan for both of them. Okay, good. So some of the when you do let go of some of those options, and I know it's tough to let go of when the stock has basically recently run from 80 to 200. But you remember last year, at one point in time, it was around 185, then it goes to 80. So you know both the upside of, woo, that's been a good year, but last year was an awful year uh, on right. the stock option. So I would slowly start letting it go and funding some of those issues. No more than 25000 in, in the 529 plan. No more than 25000 because uh, your kids are young. Yeah, so you'll have plenty of time to let that grow, and when it push comes to shove, you'll help sign some grants, and you'll help sign some uh, student loans for them, and help them establish some credit coming out of college, and you have plenty of money, so you'll be able to take them on vacations and love them and do everything that you're supposed to do, but um, call Fidelity, and also go to a website called You Promise. it's the letter U, and then the word promise.com, and you can put your visa cards, um, and every time you go to Safeway, that'll help fund that 529 plan, so... Uh, that's, oh, okay. that's just a little dumb things like that, but it sounds to me, Susan, you really need a financial planner sooner than later because of the worst case scenario of what if something happened to Steve Jobs. Um, and again, I have a price target of 225 sometime next year for Apple. So I'm not expecting it to go much lower right now. It's in a correction mode. Um, it's pulled back to the 185 mark and the market, if the market goes rough, Apple could underperform. And thanks for the call. Um, that's worthy of noting. There's four things that move a stock. And Susan owns shares of a company called Apple, and Apple can move the stock. If, when they come out with this tablet PC or this tablet, as long as it's not the Newton, Wall Street's going to dig it. And Steve Jobs has been sending engineers in droves to Asia to make sure that, that this Apple tablet gets done right. I think it's going to be his last big thing. Um, after that, what's next for Apple? TV. So, netbook. Anyway, um... Four things drive a stock. The company itself, the stock market, the sector, and the visibility. So a bad stock market can hurt Apple if you get my draft. Everything else, they're doing perfect right now. Technology is a good place to be. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. If you need a CFP referral, drop me an email at rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.